All right. Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Wealth Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Oh, a little little delayed there, Tim. I, I guess that was just from, you know, knocking a few too many back during homecoming last weekend, right? You were, you were down there yeah. on Chancellor's Way lighting it up. I was, yeah. <laughs> Who won All the football game? these backstories are coming out. It was my biker <laughs> friends there, actually, yeah. <laughs> We always come. <laughs> they, they, they all went to U of G, and now they've become bikers. I see. Yeah. Yeah, Delay, no, I just got that Zoom, like, you're being recorded, got it, and I wasn't paying attention. So I thought <laughs> thought my computer was malfunctioning, but it's not. It's all good. Okay, great. Well, we got at least a solid minute of internet comedy out of it, so that's... Yeah, uh, that's Zoom. Good. Where are you going to do a Zoom? What's the deal with Zoom? <laughs> like we're right back in April 2020. Um, okay, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new black comedy slash political satire slash horror, El Conde, which you can now stream on Netflix. That's going to be in the back half of the show. For the first half, we are going to tackle... Uh, some other political satires that you can watch. They don't necessarily have vampires in it, but uh, there is a lot of bloodletting, you might say, in some of these, uh, both literal and uh, metaphorical or allegorical. Um, Tim may not be aware of this, but we actually, um, over on Open Sources, do a political movie episode every Christmas, every Christmas week. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it, was, uh, it was an interesting experiment to me to find stuff that we hadn't done on the political movies episodes of Open Sources. Um, although I've done a lot of kind of straight political movies on that, haven't delved too deeply into the satires. But for, uh, for reasons that I already talked about, they live on one of those shows. I couldn't put it on this list, so just FYI. <laughs> yeah that <laughs> thanks for that disclaimer adam yeah yeah when i came up with this i figured i came up with the topic because we're reviewing a political satire mm -hmm. and i actually i had some thoughts myself but i think i've discussed some some of these films on end credits so i've gone off the board from what i was originally going to do mm. and when you google like top political satire films of all time mm. you'll get like 20 lists of top tens that all include about the six of the same movies in every yeah. list. So yeah. I tried to avoid those, um, you know, spoiler alert, like <laughs> Dr. Strange love is probably my favorite by far, mm. but I, I'm not including it. Just, I think I've discussed it on end credits and it's, it's going to be like number one or top three on any list you see online for political satires and it deserves it. Yeah. But, uh, Trying to go with some different stuff, kind of like you here. Yeah, Doctor Strangelove is is an interesting example, and El, El Conde is an interesting example too, because it you know it, it asks the question like, if you have a political satire, does it need to be funny? Like, does it need to be sort of like an explicit comedy? I don't know. You could call either of those movies comedies. There are certainly funny bits in it, but they also you know hopefully not a spoiler for El Conde. Uh, let's say not everything works out in the end. With those movies like yeah. it's not very life-affirming <laughs> no 
<laughs> it's you know which you know I, I think we associate comedy with happiness and happiness with like happy ending and you know it the political satire is like a realm of it's like off to like the far far side of comedy and in, in like the dark corner where you know you can be funny but then you know you end with saying the punchline is so dark and depressing it's you know, nobody nobody at the party wants to talk to you anymore. No. If we're using that analogy, yeah. Yeah, and I'm pretty creative in, in my uh, spare <laughs> time. And I, I remember years ago, I was trying to, I was writing writing some plays and I contacted KW Little Theater and they <laughs> said, what type of plays are you writing? And I said, they're comedies that end tragically. <laughs> and I really liked the line on the guy who I spoke to who said, oh, just like life comedies that end tragically <laughs> and uh i thought you were gonna say he said never phone here again <laughs> and then he said that <laughs> after he read it after he actually read the script he's like never never contact us again but... <laughs> <laughs> well that's how mammoth got started which will be a good segue for one of my movies coming up but uh let's get into your first pick uh my first pick yeah so i tried to go off the board with something that wasn't like about politicians necessarily and i picked weekend mm -hmm. from 1967 by jean-luc godard mm -hmm. and it's like you said a satire that is it is very funny in moments but very bitter and biting i think similar to the el conde which we're reviewing later um and it's about basically it's very episodic uh it's about a, a couple and they both want to murder each other basically they're plotting they're they're cheating on each other with uh, uh, other lovers and they they're plotting each other's deaths is how it starts and then we see them traveling through the countryside on like a like a sort of a day trip mm -hmm. and as they're traveling in their little car it's really you can see the period bright colors little European cars, 1967, <laughs> driving down the country roads of France. There's just this massive traffic jam mm -hmm. and people are fighting. People are playing chess on the road. Um, people are like killing each other. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just wild. And uh, Godard said that politics are a traveling shot is what he said. So during this, traveling shot that you never know where it's going to end it lasts seems to last endlessly but it, it's a few minutes i think <laughs> um you just see sort of his bitter caustic satire of french culture at the time materialistic culture um there's a famous line in it when actually later on when there's a separate car crash because there's a car crash that causes this traffic jam but there's a separate car ca car crash and this woman's just covered in blood. Mm. Um, there's multiple deaths. And she goes, oh, my Hermes handbag. That's what she <laughs> said. So it's very, very biting about, about the culture. And you and, um, but never once is there like anybody who's, I think I might be wrong. That's like a politician in it. I, it's more, he sort of godard seeing french society going down the tubes and the selfishness of people and you know how can you solve social ills when everyone's so selfish mm -hmm. uh, basically and then it 
it, it does test your patience a little bit. I've seen it a couple times in theaters at rep cinemas, and that's probably the best way to watch it. If you, It's hard to find at rep cinemas, but I saw it, I think, at the Princess Cinema years ago and at Tiff Bell Lightbox, mm. and it held my attention the whole time. And I just watched it uh, actually last night. I'm like, I need to watch this again. Mm. I streamed it, and it's it, it can test your patience because it's got those Godard staples I used later in in his career where people are reading texts like political <laughs> texts and all he right. has is somebody on screen reading the text and and you're kind of like okay but it's really sort of brechtian uh breaking down the fourth wall testing your patience uh he does all that but still it's very entertaining <laughs> great cinematography very colorful and you can you can get the message of just the absurdity of of things where people are more concerned with their uh, material possessions than the people dying, lying mm. dead, lying, dying on the road. <laughs> mm. And um, how the, also similar to El Conde, people are waiting for their inheritance. Um, <laughs> yes. It's like, can't wait till my parents die. I'll get that inheritance. And it's just so, you know, so caustic. And I, I definitely recommend it. You can find it streaming, which you probably can. It's on Criterion. You probably oh, yeah. can rent it on Apple or something like that as well. Probably. Um, and it's one of the and it's interesting in Godar's career because if you've seen early Godar, it's very like Pulp Fiction was inspired by early Godar with Uma Thurman's character, the dance scenes, and really sort of a lot of fun in Breathless and films like that. Mm -hmm. This was ushering in a new period where he was more politically minded. But it's a nice transition because it still has a lot of the humor. Mm -hmm. it, it's not just pure people reading polemics. On it. <laughs> um, it's not just that. It's like a nice transition into a later period of his work. So I'd highly recommend it. Uh, not straight political satire, but definitely societal satire for France in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And I, I could see the 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 tentacles between Al Conde and that. Um I picked maybe the most obvious thing to start off with. Um and I, I actually rewatched it for the first time so since I think it came out um for this, which is Wag the Dog, which is the the Mammoth pick. Mammoth co wrote the script. Um Barry Levinson directed maybe the last thing of note that Barry Levinson directed. Um but I mean it's an interesting cultural artifact, mostly because it, it's it goes beyond the, the movie itself. Wag the Dog has become like a political expression, like if a politician gets into trouble and tries to get the public's attention with a serious issue instead of their own personal issue. Um, What surprised me, a number of things surprised me. Number one, uh, the, the crime that the unnamed U.S. president is accused of in Wag the Dog is actually like... I'm surprised we I'm actually kind of surprised we we kind of got away with it in 1997 when this came out because it's a, essentially sex with a minor. Um so like you no way you would get away with it today. Uh second of all, Robert De Niro has this like ugly he's wearing his ugly beard. Um he's a full on slime ball. I mean and we've seen like Robert De Niro play scumbags we've seen him play like criminals we've seen him play gangsters we've seen him play like violent men but just to be like a full-on slime ball 
that stands out in the in the Robert De Niro <laughs> oeuvre to just yeah. be like this political smooth talking political operator um, who has you talking about something entirely different before you know it. Uh, Dustin Hoffman doing a Robert Evans impression through the whole movie um, and doing it beautifully. Um, <laughs> you get this like murderer's row of 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 people who are like on uh, Dustin Hoffman, who's the movie producer that's producing the war to get the public's attention. Um, you have Willie Nelson, Dennis Leary as um, King Fad. That's the character's name, King Fad, because he's always trying to find the next fad. Uh, Andrea Martin is there as well. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, and this is kind of one of those other things. It's like the CIA is essentially the hero in this because they're the ones who are like, we don't like this pretending there's a war going on in Albania stuff. So we're going to like try and work with the the president's opponent who's played by Craig T. Nelson. Uh, we're going to work with the president's opponent to expose the fake war. And it's like, yeah, I'm not so sure that CIA is the hero, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to like war stuff. But um, yeah, it's it, it's fascinating to go back and watch this, just how like biting it is and how just um, I guess pessimistic it is just about the political process and how easy it is to sort of like manip- like to to, <laughs> to to, you know, just start. We'll just start a war in Albania. It's fine. We're just going to, you know, put the joint chairman of the joint chief on a plane to Seattle. So people are thinking he's going to Boeing to check out the latest war weapons and we're going to put a few comments in the press and um, we're going to have the press secretary and get up and go, we all wish the president well in this time of crisis. Then you have people asking what crisis um, it, it's, it seems like it, it almost seems even more prescient today in, in a lot of ways, which makes me kind of disappointed. And also speaking of that grander cultural influence, um, I don't know if you want to blame David Mamet and Barry Levinson for 9-11, but it's often been said that, you know, Wag the Dog made Clinton rethink um, military actions in Afghanistan that might have taken out Osama bin Laden in like 1999. Hmm. So, you, I mean, I'm not saying it's their fault, but you could say it's their fault. But um, yeah, it's just it, it's an amazing cultural artifact that is both of its time, but also like depressingly depressingly prescient as well so yeah that's the word i was gonna use prescient um yeah I'll, you know although i would still be shocked if that could happen like that but mm-hmm. it's um but i mean with like fake news and stuff and yeah you know it, it, you know the conspiracy theory youtube channels like how many people think the earth is flat it it's yeah. you know if if you could you you probably could get away with creating a war out of whole cloth and making half the country think it's a real thing. Oh yeah, could do like deep fake videos and stuff too. And yeah, yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. But anyway, that's oh, depressing. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. That was that was cheery. Yeah. Well, let's get to your number two pick. Maybe that'll cheer us up. Yeah, my number two pick actually is a lighter sort of satire. I I okay. tried. I was trying to pick foreign language ones actually foreign language political satires we'll see if i got to it a number three if i got all three to be foreign language but my second one is goodbye lenin mm-hmm. a german movie from 2003 directed by wolfgang becker and very interesting premise it's about a family in east germany who are uh and it's just before the uh the fall of the berlin wall mm-hmm. um and they're 
mother who has been living in the repress of East Germany her whole life and has gotten comfortable in the repression of it. Mm -hmm. um, during a demonstration, like eight months before the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall, she has a heart attack, I believe. And then she falls into a coma. Mm. And so when she comes to, everything has changed. <laughs> but the doctors say she can't have any shocks or she'll have another heart attack and die. So her children try to shield her from all the massive changes that have happened like outside her window mm -hmm. with um, with capitalism coming in. And and so they they try to put her in a cocoon. Um, so, you know, shield her from even seeing the billboard outside. There's a big Coca-Cola billboard outside their their <laughs> their place and they they do fake news broadcasts or they edit together broadcasts from bef the before times um, mm -hmm. to try to make it seem like things are as they were. And it's an interesting satire in the sense that they're doing this for their mother. Uh, but also there's, there's sort of a comfort there's like that Nirvana line. There's a comfort in being sad. There's a comfort mm -hmm. that the um, children sort of had before. So them going through this exercise is is sort of like nostalgic for that before times, which as bad as it was, was how they lived their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, with any any massive change like that, fall like Soviet Union when you know the when it disbanded um there's you know you're going to it's going to be a shock to the system right mm -hmm. so this it's an interesting film in that it's it it does confront that in a really light comedic way but confronts that the nostalgia for the bad times in a way and how the children still pine for that in a way and how these changes have affected them and even though it's better that society has moved on and they're in a free society now mm -hmm. um that th they still are, are finding these these moments that they like from from before and and you, it's like an art project to for them <laughs> To, to put this together for their mother with the fake news broadcasts and mm. you know the the even how they even the uh, interior design of their place they have to keep it the same as it was before mm. um groceries everything that they they look into <laughs> to make it make it like it was before uh it's it's really funny a really funny film a really light film but it does if you give it some time make you think about you know what it's like for these repressive societies once they become free and mm. you know what what do you remember um we're all nostalgic for our childhoods or a lot of us are anyway and it's like mm. what if your childhood was during th that repressive time and would there be things you remember that you miss from that time which is can sound kind of crazy to say but that's it's probably the truth so it's a very interesting film German mm. film from 2003, and I'd highly recommend it. Goodbye, Lenin. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of that around 
the the, the communist bloc at you know, like near the end you know even though mikhail gorbachev was like initiating reforms in russia you had people like going to the store and there's you know one type of cheese or no cheese at all and you know they're saying we ate better under brezhnev so like you you were more oppressed <laughs> but you there was yeah. food at the grocery store yeah. um yeah it's that, that's an interesting pick um in order to light things up after Wag the Dog, I also watched a, a sillier movie, and it's also about a fake war, though. Um, it's called, uh, I mean, it's interesting, kind of like a similar theme. A, a U.S. president tries to save his political fortunes by starting a fake war. Um, but this one's called Canadian Bacon. It is one of Michael Moore's rare divergence into narrative film um, about five years after Roger and Me it came out. But I mean, this is when Michael Moore was still kind of sharp and still kind of funny. I, he doesn't pop up too much anymore, um, but he's kind of like shrill and angry and not a lot of fun. Um, but this no. is fun. This is fun. Michael Moore. Uh, he puts together a pretty good cast with uh, Rip Torn, Kevin Pollack, Alan Alda, uh, Rhea Perlman, John Candy. One of his last roles, I think his second to last role. I think it was the last movie he finished. Um, but it's essentially... Uh, I mean, it, it focuses on essentially this um, sheriff who is in, in the Niagara region on the U.S. side, and he's like super patriotic. He, he basically gets um, indoctrinated in this whole like U.S.-Canada war situation. You kind of watch him kind of get indoctrinated into this fake war. I mean, his, his wife, uh, who's played by Real Perlman, and uh, a couple of their friends um, are essentially like getting into their uh, rowboat and sneaking across the Niagara river to like turn over garbage cans in Canada. Cause it'll drive us nuts. Cause we don't have litter up here, of course. Um, yeah. It, it, so, so much of it is just silly like that, but I mean, it's some pretty sharp points. Like, you know, Kevin Pollock is leading the, um, I guess you can call it the war effort, but he's like making points. It's like, you know, Canada has no culture of their own. Have you heard of Canadian cuisine? And, you know, there's this ad where it's like, you know, just like uh, maple syrup, Canada's evil oozes over the border. And it's showing like a list of all these Canadians who are like successes in Hollywood as like sort of like sleeper cell infiltrators. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of it's it's hilarious in the way um, it's silly. I You know, the third act doesn't work that well with this like the whole missile countdown thing where a war <laughs> looks like a war might actually start but i mean it's fun uh john candy is uh great everybody's great in it yet steven wright is a mountie um he likes he has a cameo and it's just it's hilarious from the beginning and it's like he's in the canadian holding facility and he's like and this man uh, manages a hedge fund and he bought a company and he laid everyone off and he sold it off for spare parts and then he starts like tasing him because <laughs> <laughs> he's calling him a scumbag. It's uh, it's so dry and so hilarious. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and all it, and I I think didn't all the American actors play Canadians and all the Canadian actors play Americans? Not quite, because Alan oh, Alda is, is an American. Uh, okay, I think Kevin, yeah, Kevin Pollock's American. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> I remember that story. Well, at least a lot of the prominent ones, yeah, were yeah. Like John Candy plays an American, right? Yeah, John Candy yeah. plays the the sheriff in um in Western New York, in the Western New York side of Niagara. So it's yeah, I mean, it's it's mostly from the Americans' perspective because it's 
it's silly. Although uh, the Canadian Prime Minister is portrayed by Wallace Shawn, who is American. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, it's fun. It's a fun. I'll go movie. for Wallace Shawn for Prime I'd Minister. For, yeah, no, I'd vote for Wallace yeah. Shawn. Yeah, absolutely. All right, maybe, let's get to. Uh... <laughs> maybe he'll join the race. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty bleak as it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's get to your number three. <laughs> My number three pick, so I couldn't stick with the foreign language. I was having trouble, so I went with a, a, a film that is prescient, funny, not my favorite film. There's a lot of flaws in it, but it's mm-hmm. Idiocracy by Mike Judge. Sure. Um, which, you know, there's a lot of articles about how prescient it is in certain aspects. There's a lot of comparisons. Um so basically, the rundown of the plot is um, Luke Wilson's character. He stars in it as an av- or average Joe, mm-hmm. which was a classic. This is from 2006. That's a classic Luke Wilson role mm-hmm. in that time. Um, real type casting there. Average <laughs> Joe. He has average intelligence. Everything about him is average. So the government cryogenically freezes him uh, so that... In the near future, he they will thaw him out, and but things go horribly wrong, and it's like 500 years in the future when he finally thaws out, and it turns out even though he had average intelligence, everything about him was average. Now he's like a super genius in the future because <laughs> everyone's just so idiotic. It's like, and from 2006, I don't know if like Honey Boo Boo was around back then <laughs> or maybe that was later. Mm, I think um, it's, it's about roughly the same time. Yeah. R- roughly time. So it was uh, Mike Judge co-wrote it with Ethan Cohen, and apparently it was very cathartic for them because they were looking when they drive outside and see stupidity, but I'm sure they're seeing a lot of stupidity on their TV too. I remember, and that's continued with reality television. But like, mm-hmm. I was thinking like Honey Boo Boo, like the way people talk, it's like they don't they didn't the, don't enunciate in the future. <laughs> they're just real moronic people mm-hmm. who watch a tv that their most popular show is ow my nuts yeah um with the reality show where people just get hit in the nuts by things yep and and the, the tv screen uh dak shepherd's in it he's like one of the idiots in the future that luke wilson first encounters his tv screens are like all ads all mm-hmm. around the outside just like ads for it like viagra type stuff whatever just adds around and then the small in the middle is out my nuts that he's watching <laughs> and even when this guy like comes in from the future with all this crazy talk and wearing i guess crazy clothes he doesn't have the barcode everybody's with a stamp with a barcode to track them mm-hmm. he doesn't have it um dax just uh just acts like nothing's nothing's unusual you know i'm just gonna get on and watch out my nuts here and it's it's just wild, just the sort of apathy and stupidity of everybody. Mm. Um, and then it's been called prescient because the uh, president, um, played by Terry Crews, is like a former wrestler, I think, maybe a porn yeah. star too. <laughs> wrestler, porn star. So, and I think that's people, correct. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of people compare like Donald Trump, especially in 2016, there were a lot of articles comparing Donald Trump to the, the president in idiocracy because. He just puts people down, puts down how their wives look or and stuff like that, which is very much what Trump did when he got elected. Uh, and there's some funny details, too, that aren't necessarily political. But when I was doing some research into this, 
I guess Crocs were a startup company at the mm-hmm. time of this. Mm-hmm. And Mike Judge just asked, he said, well, what if everybody starts wearing Crocs? And like the production designer was like, how do you know that? What if you put this out and nobody's wearing Crocs anymore? And then it turns out Crocs took off and everybody Whoops. was wearing Crocs. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just these details, which are funny, but kind of horrifying at the same time. Um, make it a very interesting, interesting film. And my favorite element of it is probably the fact that the crops aren't growing in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're not using water on the crops. They're mm-hmm. using Brondo. It's what plants which, crave. Which is what plants crave, which is like a um, <laughs> Gatorade type drink. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think back to my youth, how like Gatorade was marketed as it's better than water. It's, yep. it's more thirst quenching than water yep. and these idiots in the future just keep trying to grow their plants by putting Brondo on it because it's better than water and Luke Wilson's like well why don't you put water in your crops and they look at him like he's you know the biggest idiot in the world he's nuts. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. he ends up saving the day um, yep. but uh, I, I like it like I think there's it you know, apparently with the production, they didn't have a lot of money. There were a lot of problems with it. I don't think it holds up for even a Mike Judge movie. Like, I really like Office Space, which to mm. me is a like a perfect satire of office culture. This, I don't think, hits those marks. But just for those, like, episodes that I described, uh, it is really funny and a really prescient look at where we are now, 17 years later. So... I'd recommend yeah. it. I think it's definitely worth a watch, Idiocracy. I, I haven't found it within myself to go back. Um it's <laughs> it's it's just it's it's so it's kind of depressing when you think about it. Uh I mean, because you know, Donald Trump is in the wrestling hall of fame. He, yeah. It's it's anyway. Um for my last one, I went back to um sort of biting uh, kind of depressing satire in the form of In the Loop, which is uh, Armando Iannucci's, um, I guess it's, he's taken a lot of the ideas he was playing with in in the thick of it, which is the the BBC, not the BBC, it's, I think it was Channel 4 uh, series um, that would later serve as the inspiration for Veep, which uh, Iannucci also produced and directed. Um, but in this movie, uh, it does feature a lot of the actors who were in actually it features a lot of the actors who ended up being in veep and a lot of the actors who were in the thick of it as well. Um, they were um, playing mostly different characters. The only two characters that carry over from the series to the movie are of course, Malcolm Tucker played by Peter, Peter Capaldi, the um, swear a minute director of communications for the prime minister. Um, who's a, a maestro with profanity and uh, his, his deputy, Jamie McDonald, the angriest man in Scotland. Um, basically, the plot of the film is um, foreign relations. Uh, the U.S. is considering a war in the Middle East. They want the U.K.'s uh, support. There's this fight over intelligence. Essentially, it's a satire of the Iraq War. Um, intelligence that's not really there, but because the, uh, the Minister of International Development keeps sticking his foot in his mouth, he's played by Tom Hollander. Um we kind of escalate and escalate further until they get just enough doctored evidence to want to start the war. And by that point, everyone who was against the war is essentially now pro-war. And uh, because uh, 
war is, I, I guess, uh, inevitable, although um, <laughs> there's a, the quote at the beginning that Tom Hollander says that um, war is unforeseeable. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's basically how, I mean, it's like in the thick of it where uh, was essentially every episode is about how some minor bureaucratic um, foul up that probably happens in government once a day becomes a massive front page issue because of, you know, everybody working in the government is either incompetent or cynical or too earnest to understand the political stakes of anything, even stupid little crises. It's taking those themes, ratcheting them up on a massive scale, and basically is making the point that uh, a bunch of people lied and obfuscated and were too weak willed to stop what should have been uh, a stupid idea to begin with, which was the war in Iraq. But uh, it's funny. I mean, Peter Capaldi is is so great. There's a scene where he's like leaving the White House and he's talking on his phone. He's swearing a blue streak and he's passes like this American couple who's like, hey, dude, like cut down on the swears. And then he swears at them as he's still talking on the phone. It's it's a thing of beauty. I mean, there's a reason why there's like a million like mashup clips of Peter Capaldi just swearing at people on the Internet. And uh, it's because it is wonderful. It's wonderful to watch, even though there's like the the this is the story material itself is depressing but peter capaldi is a national treasure um even though he's scottish and works in the uk and we're in canada and anyway there you go there's a lot of scottish people who live here adam so he's a uh... well this is true this is true yeah. all right oh, we're gonna take a quick break and come back with uh this week's political satire of the moment el conde you are listening Two end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, both campus and community radio. Estuve estudiando su caso judicial. Dice que usted ordenó el asesinato y la desaparición de miles de chilenos. Yo. También hay dinero mal habido. Mis hijos no saben trabajar y yo no quiero que se mueran de hambre. Claro. Pero no vaya a pensar que yo soy un ladrón. No, no, no. no. Okay, that was a clip from El Conde. It's the new film from Pablo Lorraine, and it stars Jamie Vidal, Gloria Munchmeyer, Alfredo Castro, Paula Lussinger, Catalina Guerra, and Stella Ganey. It is from Chile. Um... And of course, uh, Pablo Lorraine is Chilean. Is it Chilean or Chilean? Chilean sounds right. Chilean sounds better. Yeah. Um, you may remember Pablo Lorraine for his recent American films, uh, Jackie and Spencer, 
which were political, not necessarily satires. Um, Jackie, obviously about Jackie Kennedy, Spencer, obviously about Diana, Princess of Wales. Um, I, I like the look of those movies. Um, and I think they have good performances in them, but, uh, I mean, honestly, I find Diana Princess of Wales kind of boring as a subject. And I mean, yeah, Jackie Kennedy is interesting, but I don't think the portion of her life that movie focused on was the interesting portion of her life. Um, yeah, they're visually stunning movies. Like they are, I, I thought, um, Spencer, like the cinematography was great. It's probably like, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was inspired by Stanley Kubrick, like from the 70s and 80s. Really, yeah. really cool cinematography. And I remember at the time watching it and I did not like it for most of it. And then it ended. And for some reason, like the ending, it's got this sort of uplifting ending. Mm-hmm. And then I f- had a good feeling afterwards having watched it. Mm-hmm. But there, you know, there are some struggles as you go through that movie. And Jackie was good, but it was kind of like almost like really straightforward to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's all about her being interviewed, right? If I recall correctly. Yeah. I, I yeah. can't remember. It, I think it's Billy Crudup who's doing the interview. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in, in light of that, we come to El Conde, which is um, all in black and white. <laughs> yeah. And it is about uh, one of the, maybe one of the more vile people of the 20th century, Augusto Pinochet. Who was the uh, the dictator of Chile? Uh, com- this movie comes out just in time for the 50th anniversary of his coup d'état. Um, so there's that good timing on Pablo Lorraine's part. Um, but yeah, it it, it it it's essentially how um, Augusto Pinochet was a vampire, and uh, there's no justice for anyone. I guess is. <laughs> Are the two <laughs> the two salient points they, of this film? <laughs> yeah, I guess the e- the evil people always live on, and mm-hmm. like, you know, and it's definitely lived on for Pablo Lorraine because he did like what was considered a trilogy, a Pinochet trilogy, mm-hmm. and then he's done this film as well. So it's still still on his mind, obviously. Um, Seventeen years of a brutal regime. Mm-hmm. Um, will do that to somebody right and he was a kid growing up when when that was taking place mm. um yeah i'd seen the american movies he'd done the only other film i'd seen that he did was called the club mm-hmm. which i saw on tiff in 2015 and it's an interesting film it had some flaws too it was about a bunch of priests who are banished to an island a bunch of abusive evil priests who are banished to an island and have to live there mm. um so I really liked El Conde. I can sort of see, I think it's a, to me, it's a masterpiece, but it's a flawed masterpiece. Um, mm. You can see the bitterness and the passion come through from the filmmaker. Kind of like in Spike Lee movies, you know, how he's just, you know, it's so passionate about a subject, about, you know, treatment of black people in America. Pablo Lorraine's really passionate about how, you know, the injustices, and of that regime the pinochet regime back from 73 to 90 right mm-hmm. quite a mm-hmm. long time there mm. and how they were installed by the cia and the u.s government to stop there from being a socialist government down there and to bring capitalism there mm-hmm. um but just how that regime was a dictatorship and 
killed thousands of people, thousands of people disappeared because of it. So you can see why that's weighing on his mind. And I actually watched, after El Conde, I watched another film he did called No, mm-hmm. which is an amazing film. It, But it's so different in that it's done, it's like a docudrama about there was a referendum to see whether Pinochet would stay in power in 1988. And they bring an advertising uh, guru in for the no campaign to vote him out. Um, and it's really, I definitely recommend it. Very different from El Conde. Mm-hmm. 80s, it's in the 80s shot in video to look like it's from like 1988. Like mm-hmm. it's TV from 1988. Mm-hmm. Brilliant movie. El Conde, I think, is brilliant, too, um, in a different way. I would also say, like, in El Conde, the difference, like, the cinematography is some of the best cinematography I've seen, I think. Mm. I really like the black and white cinematography. Uh, He's going for something different, trying to go for something more fantastical, having Pinochet be a vampire, you know, you know, living, you know, he was supposed to have died in 2006, but he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I like the look of the film and I like how, like when Pinochet goes, he goes to feed, he goes to Santiago to feed, he flies through the air to go get some victims, get the blood he needs to stay alive. And <laughs> those shots of him flying, they're so sort of like handmade. You can see him stumbling. Yeah. You can almost see that he might be on wires. It, and I, I, I thought that was really cool touch to it. Um, and it sort of wears its bitterness on its sleeve, but I really respect that. <laughs> um, there's a character that they bring in. So basically, like, it's a political satire that I think fits in these times or any times, basically. Mm. Pinochet is still alive, this evil man. He kind of wants to die. Mm-hmm. His wife is having an affair she might want him to die so she can t- take all his money. His kids mm-hmm. definitely want him to die. They come. So they can have all the money. Yeah. They want all the money, right? All the um, all the filthy money from his time in, in <laughs> government, millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, they all want him to die. And then they bring in, because they want to go through the books or make it look like they're going to go through the books. So they bring in this character who's supposed to be like this forensic accountant. Mm-hmm. But she's really like a nun who's going to do do an exorcism. Um, they bring her in, and I yeah I thought that was kind of fascinating when they brought in that character um, because she interviews all the principals. She interviews Pinochet. She interviews his um, his butler, mm-hmm. who's just as evil, if not more evil than him, who he mm-hmm. met, who has mm-hmm. eternal life too. Mm-hmm. And actually does a lot of the feeding himself and can, and it, it, yeah. And the film shows just the gluttony of yeah. the gluttony of these heads of state in these dictatorships and that they're putting bl- hearts into blenders and eating them. And <laughs> um, it, it, very bloody. It's like your body parts into the blender and, just this the 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 gluttony is, is something that's quite interesting as well um gluttony is such a good word it, it is yeah. it is about that it, using vampirism as a metaphor for gluttony that you know there's a certain insatiableness 
that's tied with you know vampirism um you, you very rarely see vampire movies where the vampire is like okay i'll just drink uh i'll have a pint from you and that'll do me for today and uh I'll yeah. just take a couple of days off and although yeah sort of how much you know a, a vampire feeds is sort of key to that and a lot of different things um you know a vampire who, who is like just so insatiable is often the monster and i think that's it's very clearly what L- lorraine's kind of getting at there, there's a lot going on here like the black and white that it, it made me think very much of like those universal monster movies like you get a certain mm-hmm. sort of crispness with the cinematography on these black and white especially with hd now like the hd like really makes the black and white stick to the screen and and it really gets like shows you a lot of detail and so you know that really stuck to me these scenes of like pinochet is like this like sad old man i was thinking about um plan nine from outer space which reuses this like old foot this like just random footage of bell lugosi that um ed wood had where he's just like walking around sort of meandering sniffing the flowers it's um kind of sad in its way you know bella lugosi of course having played dracula the the grandfather of the vampires and it, it it's it's kind of on point just you know these are what what this does even though it essentially says like pinochet wasn't just like a monster because of the things he did he's like a literal monster he's a vampire um and, and I think that's the gift of something like this is like just m- taking these like terrible people who we want to sort of ascribe otherly otherworldly attributes to and, and bring them down to like just like a human level. He's just a sad man. He's a pathetic man. And his his sort of loathsome, loathsome justifications like there's he's talking to Carmen. And he's like taking full credit for like some of the brutality. And but he takes exception to being called a thief. He wasn't a thief. Yeah, there were some people who were brutalized <laughs> and killed yeah. when he was president, but don't call him a thief. Um, there, yeah. were, there were like people who took advantage of him, who just like gave him money and then expected like the <laughs> the yeah. machinery of industry to return. They took advantage of him, that poor man. And, and at one point, he's like, "Well, I'm not as bad as these other yeah. historical figures, these yeah. other dictators. They took hundreds of millions of dollars. I just took a few million dollars, kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, just to justify it." Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's and, just, it's it's it gets into that bizarre psychology because I I think if you talk you know uh, you, you sort of go and sort of see like the, the film of like the the trial of like Adolf Eichmann or other Nazis, you know, they were, they were firm in their belief they did nothing wrong or that they were perfectly yeah. justified in doing the things that they did and it's it, it it's it's a psychology that I think we're sort of reticent to get into because i mean we can all understand to an extent gluttony even if we don't take it as far as somebody like pinochet or or you know any other dictator we can all mm-hmm. understand the desire for power and um i mean the whole thing starts we we get this like bizarre origin for pinochet that he was like um a soldier in the french revolution who saw marie antoinette i mean not yeah. for the first time this fall we see <laughs> <laughs> Marie Antoinette killed in the guillotine. Um, stay tuned for Napoleon. Um, <laughs> but you know this whole gets into into this idea of you know the leftists and you know the revolutionaries and like we're just trying to live our lives and they're trying to overthrow us all the time. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, I, I think people get that. Like, we just want some peace and quiet um, and, and not have to. I mean, is 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 I guess it sort of gets back to one of the movies we were talking about, you know, um, I guess, you know, is is you know living under a dictator too much to ask for just a little peace and quiet maybe not but yeah and i think uh lorraine i think one of his motivations to make this and release it now is because there's a debate going on in chile now yeah Yeah. saying you know it wasn't that bad in those times because people look at like economic reasons or what have you um the predictability of it right uh where it's like even and i would recommend the movie no because it's it gives you you can really learn about the politics of it um, through that. This is a little more abstract, right? And it can be hard to follow everything in this. But in no, you can see what you know the two sides, the ones who wanted to keep Pinochet in power and those who who didn't. But there's a lot of average people who wanted to keep Pinochet in power just because of that. They'd have that consistency. They right. already had a good job. You know, they don't want to lose their job. They don't want. To, to lose their car or something you know they, they feel like that's going to happen if uh, they vote no so well there's a lot of that going on in north american politics too like there are people who are like you know the economy was better under trump and it's like yeah well there hadn't been like three or five like world calamities going on yeah. at the time and you know i see that here in canada too where people are talking about oh you know things you know we didn't have an affordability crisis on until trudeau and it's like yeah but you know then there was COVID, and by the way, there was an affordability crisis before uh, Trudeau. It's just it didn't affect as many people, and and I think he Lorraine is kind of playing with a lot of this. Is like what is perception, and um, you know, because people are sort of, you know, how much of of sort of how we regard history is memory, and how much of it is like sort of wishful thinking and, and how big of a role does nostalgia play and i mean pinochet in this is being driven by nostalgia too is this idea that you can bring enough brutality to control a thing but you know brutality only gets responded by more brutality and it, it, it's it, it's an escalating game that he doesn't mm-hmm. quite understand and you know it it, hap- it unfolds in this movie where like at the beginning he's ready to die but as sort of like each offense compounds the other the more his own brutality returns and he decides to just you know what everybody here is trying to get what they want so i'm gonna take what i want yeah just like to just put all these people in the rearview mirror and i'm gonna drink some blood and run away (laughs) and you know start start a new life or whatever yeah and it's interesting uh lorraine's take on religion Mm. um this one of the lead characters is the nun um Mm -hmm. carmen Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that film he did, The Club, which is you know about Catholic priests who are banished to an island for their abuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and in No, early on they say, "Oh, if No's going to win, we're going to need a miracle." And I'm like, "Okay, is this there going to be a religious <laughs> subtext to this?" But there wasn't. I, I thought I'm sort of thankful there wasn't in that film. It was more like straight drama about that mm-hmm. that that campaign. Um. But the church is in it for themselves, too. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. It's like uh, Pinochet in his basement has all these papers, right? It's a, Well, we think it's the papers that are where he has all his money, but he also has yeah. all these historical artifacts that are worth millions of dollars. Yeah. And uh, you have his family wants it. They want mm. the nun to come and exercise him and kill him so they can get the money. Mm. But then it, near the end, 
we have the, the rel religious people in the basement saying, oh, we can keep this. This will be good. We can keep this money for the church. Right. Yeah. So it, it's like he Reinvestment doesn't pull any in punches. Doing the good stuff for the church. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, it's it's very much uh, a piece like everybody's kind of in it for themselves. And in, 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 in this, though, you get this sort of like really pure moment where Carmen becomes a vampire and, you know, you see her fly for the first time. And there's this kind of joy in it where she's kind of like flipping in the air, um, even though she's like on this like very self-serving mission for the church, as we learn. But, you know, there's this like just poor this one pure moment. It's like, you know, being a vampire isn't so bad, like just, just to fly in the air and turn over and just to feel it. It's to yeah. feel that power. But then, you know, it turns very quickly. Um, That's a great scene. And yeah. Yeah, Carmen in general, like, and when she's interviewing people, oh, it's great, it's great. The delight she takes in their <laughs> evilness, right? Their self-centeredness, yeah, yeah, the self-centered. Because I guess she likes that because she wants to like redeem them or what have you. Um, so she like like when she's interviewing Pinochet, it's just she just loves the more he talks about the dreadful things he's done, <laughs> the more she's into it. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of dialogue from her and when she's interviewing and there's a lot of close-ups mm -hmm. she's a very unusual look to the actress paula look singer yeah i could see her being in like a wes anderson movie i bet like if he watches this he would want to cast her because i was thinking a lot real... about yeah i was thinking a lot about wes anderson because there's like in a lot of the dialogue scenes there's like this very stilted very like let me spit out my line then you spit out your line and then i spit out my line kind of patter to it that reminded me very much of wes anderson yeah and i think she would fit right in i think yeah. if he's seen it he probably has or if he hasn't once he does he'll he'll want to cast her in his films but like you're saying there are these moments yeah when they when she becomes a vampire and she feels a freedom and there's the flying through the air so it's not like it's not all doom and gloom mm. <laughs> thing right mm -hmm. which is weird to say but it's got it has these fantastical moments which and you made a good analogy with the um a good comparison to like the universal horror movies and stuff mm. from frankenstein and yeah that, that cinematography it's such crisp black and white cinematography and it's it keeps you engaged um mm. which i think lorraine's really good at that with his cinematographer and doing that like because like Spencer, that was another movie, the movie I didn't like as much, I wasn't into, but because of the cinematography, I, I was engaged the whole time. Mm. He he's really does a great job with the look of his films. Mm -hmm. And this one's no exception. I think it's probably the best look of any of his films. Um, yeah. And it gets, you know, it's, it's, it is satire. So it goes <laughs> to meandering satire, I guess. Uh Yeah probably don't want to spoil give a spoiler on the ending and who shows up at the end and yeah. stuff but it's like hey it a... <laughs> you take it with a grain of salt kind of thing right because this guy's getting a lot off his chest here i think i think so i think so yeah, but yeah it's it's it, it's it's fun and kind of biting in its own way i i'm not sure i'm not I, i'll i have to watch it again i think to to sort of you know just finally decide just where i am on it um but it, it is it is a really engaging film. Uh, as for the show, well, we have to wrap it up. But uh, we hope you like our show. We, if you want to listen to it again, you can find it every Friday on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean. 
or get it from your favorite podcast app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can stay connected to us on social media, on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And Tim, where can people find you out on the internet? On the internet, flash in the deadpan. Reach out if you have any... Um... <laughs> Chilean political satires that you okay. you feel okay. You might be waiting good... a while. Yeah. yeah, that's my that's my uh, niche now. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU ninety three point three FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at three p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. Mm-hmm.